four Midwest Guys presents... Star Trek Picard Review Everybody and welcome back to Four Midwest Guys Presents Picard Review. Uh, as you can see today, I'm flying with up Mr. with uh, my first officer, Mr. Angabauer. So all systems are on automate. Speaking of which, uh, we have a new kind of uh, setup here at uh, Four Midwest Guys. We've kind of switched the flipped the room around to give us more space, kind of make it seem a little bit more open. Uh, we're still working on a few bugs and details here, but we're getting settled in, and I hope you like it. I hope you like to feel a lot better. I, I know I already do comfort wise and hopefully you will too uh but however because it's just me and you and uh, let's just get a little bit more comfortable with each other here and let's just zoom on in there we go so now it's just me and you and let's talk about season one episode eight broken pieces um so really this episode has several parts much like the last episode except there's two other points going on and then the one in the middle is kind of we kind of get everybody's background story that ties in to the bigger plot at hand so that's kind of how i'm going to go about this podcast review is we're going to talk about each one of these scenes and especially the second one when i go through the second one we'll kind of go through each there's kind of the subplots that are going on and how it all ties in and uh, then we'll move on to a couple other scenes that don't quite tie in, but right, wrap up the, the podcast nicely, I think so. And that deserve to be talked about as well. So that's our format. So uh, there's a lot to talk about here. I, I really wish Brian was with me because there's a lot to, uh, there's a lot going on in this episode. There's a lot of mysteries unfolded and revealed, but bear with me as it's just me and you, and I will do my best to, uh, to give you what you need here uh, for what was uh, a season one episode eight broken pieces. So uh, let's begin, shall we? Um, so every Picard episode so far has started with some sort of a flashback scene. Um, this one starts uh, with uh, so we this one starts with a uh, a strange kind of uh, star system that takes us through like some nebulas and stuff, and we zoom in on what we find out is an Octary system, which is eight different suns all rotating around each other and then there's this one loading planet in the middle of this these eight suns literally rotating around each other um and in the middle of this uh in the middle of the the planet i guess is this dome looking thing and then it pops out like a little cube almost and this is the source of the this is where the 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 vat the vat uh, the Vash come from. So this is where their order comes from. By when they touch the thing, this is where when they touch it, this is where they get their that apocalyptic vision that we've been talking about. When we hear them talk about Soji being the destroyer of tomorrow and and all these things and the, this vision that they have comes when they touch it. So we find out we have. We see Commander O in their black garbs, and she's like the leader of the Zadvash. So Commander O, my theory about Commander O being maybe still on the side of the good thing, um, the side of good is not quite accurate at all. In fact, she's the most evil one of them all, uh, which now proves it for sure. Uh, she's So she's the leader of the Zadvash, and she, she's got a whole, I think there's like maybe eight or ten of them. There's probably eight. That, that would make more sense. Uh, that are standing around the uh, the dome and the, the cube and um, she warns them she says you know once you see this vision you'll understand what our mission is but not all of, you, all of you will be able to handle it and sure enough when they touch it we get this 
we get this vision. At first, it starts off with vision of organic life in the womb. We see cellular regeneration, which turns into an android's, like a, a generic android face, which then becomes data's face for a second. And then it switches to almost that apocalyptic thing where you see things destroyed, planets destroyed, all organic life destroyed and the madness and it's it's all and i'm pretty sure we don't see it all but by the the circle of eight that touch it with oh looking on they go through like what i like to call an event horizon moment and if you've ever seen that movie you'll know what i'm talking about where you know they're like scratching at each other's skin they don't actually tear out their eyeballs like they do in event horizon not that quite that graphic but one shoots herself in the head with a phaser um, you know, the one, like I said, scratches it and they just fall to the ground in madness, all except for Nerissa, who's there. And uh, Nerissa is able to, to withstand it, you know, mentally. She's shocked. She wants to know what they have to do. She's fully on board with their mission upon seeing this. Uh, but she's the only one really strong enough to to not lose it. She's on the verge, maybe, but she's she still holds holds her, her herself together enough. So she's the one that's really strong enough to to handle it. Uh, we find out that remember uh, Ramda, our uh, um, assimilated uh, uh, <clears throat> assimilated Romulan mythology expert was with her as well. And we turn turns out we find out more about her as we switch back to the cube from the vision that Ramda is actually the aunt of Narissa and uh, Narek, and that she had taken them in and raised them. So she's like a surrogate mother to them. And she also is part of the, the, the Zad Vash and sees the vision. And, but the differences between Narissa and Ramda is Ramda has fallen to the ground and has kind of lost her mind. Um, she's, she's, Narissa picks her up because she's still alive. She hasn't killed herself or lost her mind to, you know, complete insanity, but she's not all there. And you can see the expression on her face. She's barely able to function whatsoever because of the vision, um, which is interesting because we go back, you know, and then we go back the whole cube scene again. And, you know, you hear uh, Nurse explain, you know, the whole, well, they picked the wrong ship to assimilate because what happened was when Ramda was assimilated by the Borg, her consciousness and all that, the despair literally of the vision itself drove the Borg mad and the Borg decided to cut off that cube from the rest of their collective. That's how much of a threat that she as one individual took down an entire Borg cube the minute she was assimilated because of the, the sheer madness that is going on in her mind. That's how deeply rooted and how crazy she is that she can take down an entire collective Borg cube. Remember the Borg active as a collective. Yes, they're controlled by, you know, they're, they're drones like bees and they have a queen that controls them all. But, it, you know, it's still a collective mind, a very strong collective mind, and they're not able to handle it. It drives them to madness. So the Borg cut them off because of it. That's That shows you the sheer terror that magnitude that's involved with this this vision um, that, they, that, that they have and that they see. So uh, a lot of uh, lots of things going on. And I'm going to speculate here for just a minute because there's really no evidence of it. But I think that's why they kept the Borg cube. I think because they wanted to, because I think Nerissa being uh, Zat Vash probably has some serious pull in the Romulan Empire and was able to convince them to keep the, the cube and that they were only using that to try to get her aunt aunt's mind back which was kind of slowly coming back i guess with the help of Hugh and in a little bit of soji there for a minute anyway so i think that's just a little speculation there but i think that might be exactly what was going on and why it's why they had the board cube in the first place other than to grab its technology obviously maybe but that could be part of it too um so let's move on to the second scene so that's the first part the second part remember there's three parts here uh, so the second part is, this is the, what I like to call the discovering or putting the pieces together, the broken pieces back together through several different subplots. The first one I want to talk about is Dr. Girardi. Um, so Girardi wakes up from, you know, almost killing herself, trying to get rid of the, the tracking device inside of her, 
to Picard's face, who Picard can't imagine why she's killed Maddox. She brings up, he was your confidant, your mentor, your lover. I can't understand why. And then she she describes to Picard what happened, that O, because O is half Romulan and half Vulcan, was able to do a mind meld on her, and mind meld attacked her with the vision that, you know, drove her to madness. And she can't talk about it because she's got some sort of psychic block, she says, but she says, you know, do you believe in hell? And Picard doesn't really, but she goes, this vision is hell. This is hell. This is, um, in fact, my in fact, the only way she can um, cope with it or console herself is to think about killing herself uh, because of the vision. Again, a very uh, um, event horizon kind of thing going on. Um, you really should see that movie if you haven't, by the way. Uh, <coughs> but basically, she you know she gives him the the gist of it is, is if synth life is allowed to exist it will bring this vision of hell that she's had to fruition. So it will come true if, if this continues. And that's why she killed Maddox, etc. Um, it also then switches to Soji uh, and Girardi. And despite everything that she's done with Maddox and seeing the, even seeing this apocalyptic vision, she's very excited and anxious to talk to Soji. She has a smile on her face. She she's asking her stupid questions like, "What do you do when you when you're tired? I sleep. What do you do when you're hungry? I eat. You eat." She's like, "You eat? That's great. That's fantastic." You know, and uh, do you dream? Yes, etc. You know, you have a star constellation on your cheek. You know, that's just that's just pure magistry. She's just in awe of Soji and the wonder of Soji, um, which may be a little bit real, I think, um, because. I think Soji knows who she is because Soji's kind of coming alive. The Android part of her is coming back alive through this whole episode. And it kind of has been for the last, even in the last episode. Um, but I think Soji knows that, so that Girardi has something to do with her creation. We theorize here that because Maddox said that, you know, she had a big part to play. I think it wasn't just her knowledge that helped, helped him create, you know, the androids again, Maddox, to recreate the android, uh, the advanced android race, but I think that she actually physically gave something we think maybe embryos, and in a way, that kind of makes if that's true, then that kind of makes Girardi their surrogate biological mother, right? And as a result, Soji's kind of reaching out to her because she she makes she asks her an interesting question, which we don't get the answer to from Doctor Girardi, but she asks Doctor Girardi. To you, am I a real person? To me, that says you're looking for identity. You want to identify with your past and who you are. And you're asking, essentially, the person to help create you, am I real? You know, it's pretty pretty heavy, uh, philo you know, philosophical, existential kind of stuff. So, um, and, but, you know, we don't get the answer to that. But when we come back to Girardi, she's like, I will never, now that I know you, I will never hurt you. Um, I don't think so. I'm going to speculate here again. I don't think so at all. I think despite her, despite everything she's done, despite her taking the tracker out and trying to be a good person again, I don't think she's quite redempt, redeemed yet. I think if, if that vision still haunts her to the point where she thinks about suicide as relief, then that vision is going to haunt her enough to probably want to destroy the androids again at some point. She feels personally responsible because she gave up a part of herself to create them, at least we think she did, and therefore she feels personally responsible for the end of all organic life, so therefore she feels like she has to rectify it. And I don't think that's gone away. I think that will continue. And that, unfortunately Soji has, she's trusting her, I think you know, she she helps her walk her into the to the big meeting. That's that's the next scene, next subplot here. Actually, it's not, but um, but there's this whole uh, you know bonding moment almost with her. So hopefully Soji's not betrayed again. We'll see. Um, hopefully I'm wrong, and hopefully Girardi actually helps them survive somehow in the end as a bit of a redemption. Maybe we'll see what happens though. 
All right, so the next subplot is what I like to call is putting Rios's past with um, Raffi's conspiracy theories together. So the minute that Picard beams up with Soji on board, we see Rios, and Rios is in a shell shock phase. Not only has he looked like he's seen a ghost, but he's literally shell shock like we can hear Picard trying to talk to him in the distance. It's like an explosion has gone off, you know, in war, and you or you you a really loud explosion goes off near you. Uh, I've kind of done this myself with a firework uh, shell blew up in front of me. You literally your ears ring. His ears are ringing. He's mentally checked out. He's in shock almost at the very sight of the moment he sees Soji. He's direct. He's staring directly at Soji. Tunnel vision on her and he's just he's bewildered and completely in shock but by the time Picard finally yells at him and kind of takes him out of it and he just says I'll take you to DS he has where you know what's the nearest starbase DS12 I'll take you there but I'm done Picard I'm completely done and he just takes off he's that distraught that emotionally distraught by the just the sheer image of seeing her again puts him back into the some sort of emotional trauma you know traumatization like it's bringing up all his demons have been brought to the surface automatically and it's just too much for him to deal with at that moment um so that 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 happens um raffi after for, you know she kind of goes off on picard for you know you hey you were wrong about dr girardi she's a murderer and a double agent and blah 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 and gets kind of her satisfaction in that she kind of turns to find rios but instead of running into Rios, Rios has activated all of his holographic programs and has retreated to his quarters. So he's he was, wants to be completely isolated and alone and doesn't want to see anybody. So he turns on the, the full, there's five different, we've kind of seen them before, the five uh, emergency holographic programs, right? Now one is a navigator, one is an uh, uh, engineer, one is a hospitality program, um, one is I'm missing the other two. Um, one is a weapons specialist, and I can't remember the fifth one. Anyway, so there's five of them, and what Raffi finds out through them is um, first she brings up the whole how she keeps when she was watching the video of the Borg cube, she kept on seeing the Borg draw that Octary star system, a map of it. It's you know the the eight different uh, suns circling each other in the one planet in the middle and uh, when she brings us up to the 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 navigation EMH she goes well that kind of looks like an octary star system he said but they don't re they're they're theoretical he said there's like a seven one but it's extremely there's a couple of seven ones out there seven star systems uh, that rotate like that but they're very very rare and that he's never seen an eight you know, an, an 8.1. And then when she runs into his engineer EMH, she asks him the question and he's like, it has to be made. It can't be made naturally. It has to be engineered. Somebody engineered this. Rafi puts all that together and using her little conspiracy theory mind, you know, cause she's, she's putting this, this whole thing of the eight with her conclave of eight theory that, you know, the Romulans were behind the Mars attack. Well, now she's starting to evolve it. And she's like, well, why would somebody do that intentionally go out of their way, except unless they wanted to leave a warning? So she's come to the same conclusion logically that the Zadvash have come to without seeing the vision. So, which worries me a little bit because up to this point, Rafi has always been right. Always. Her gut instinct has always been right. Even though she didn't have the evidence to back it up, all of her theories have always proven right, which happens with the conclave theory. Although she's off a little bit on, on the eight thing, she's right. Turns out she's right. So that worries me that her first instinct is that this is indeed a warning. That could actually be that maybe the, the bad guys are right. Maybe Zadvash and the androids are destroyers, but I don't think so. And I'll explain later, but it does enough to leave you just a little bit of doubt in your head going forward. <clears throat> so, um, so Raffi, in order to get, I guess, um, after she, she kind of, she's, she's got that going on in her head. She's also wants to know 
why Rios went into his <coughs> excuse me why Rios went into his um, his uh, his withdrawal right pardon me a lot of talking um, so why did he withdraw why is he emotionally distraught it, she's he's a, her her friend so she wants to know and she wants to know so badly that she puts together the five holographic programs well it turns out these five holographic programs don't just look like him it but they are an extension of him so they're like they're kind of like his memories or they're kind of they have parts of his memories he's gone in and deleted certain sections but together they're able to kind of put together a a picture slightly you know they're like well i, I kind of think it's there it's like but they know it's been deleted they're like i remember the ghost of it being there like one of them knows that the person that uh that looks like soji is named jaina and that they were beamed aboard together with another person and it was on his old ship the uh the uh imbid majid majid um which was his old starfleet vestal and we find out that his captain's name was um uh captain vander uh vandermeer captain vandermeer who we find out killed himself in front of Rio. So she gets like all this basic information just by pulling the five together. And they're all different personality types. So they're kind of like extensions of himself, which is kind of an interesting point, you know, an interesting story point that these, these EMHs are maybe even different parts of his personality. They each represent a different part of himself. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be interesting to explore if the, you know, down the line maybe or something, but it's kind of a, cool way of looking at it right but by pulling these people together she finds she's able to, to figure that out that there was a girl named that looked just like soji named Jana, that it was on board the imid majid and that it was and that his captain did kill himself and his, his captain vandermeer is there and then they switch we're going to switch from that to rios actual real rios in his in his quarters he's been drinking pretty heavily and we, we pan over and we see a Starfleet locker Starfleet symbols on it he opens it up it's from his time on them the Majid and uh, you know we see that there's some other stuff this actually says you know Emmett Majid on it and um, in there is a cigar box and it's kind of cool that they use a cigar box because my dad had one when I, you know, a cigar in it from when I, one cigar left from when I was born as a kid and he had other personal effects in his top drawer. So I was kind of, I related to that pretty easily. So, you know, he's got some really cool personal effects in there. We see uh, his little insignias, the little dots that, you know, uh, in, indicate his rank and how he probably moved up. We see like, you know, Ensign, we see Lieutenant, we see Lieutenant Commander and eventually Commander uh in you know in his ranks that's all in there. there's a little alien skull um but there's a picture and it's a picture of him and his in captain captain vander vanderroot and um and then there's also this like piece of paper and it's like a hand sketch drawing like with a pencil a pencil drawing and it's a picture of him with this jana girl who is basically soji right looks identical to soji so, you know, we got we get all that. Finally, um, I guess Rafi makes her way into his quarters and sits down next to him and Rios kind of tells the story and finishes the story. So apparently uh, the Jaina girl and a male ambassador who called himself Perfect Flower. Okay, right. All right. So there is a male androids, apparently. This one called himself Perfect Flower. Um, okay, whatever. Um, but Jaina was kind of like his assistant, we find out. And that uh, they were beamed aboard and they were considered, you know, a new race uh, with warp capable. Um, you know, they had a ship with warp capability. They'd never run into Starfleet before. Starfleet hadn't run into them as far as they knew. So they initiated what's called First Contact Protocol, um, which if you've watched any of uh, TNG, uh, or any other, you know, uh, or later Star Trek series, you know that there's a first uh, first contact protocol, basically meaning once a society hits warp level technology, then 
the then they their Starfleet will contact them and try to make first contact with them and usually there's an invite eventually into the Starfleet community it, it's the same way the Vulcans did with uh, if you watched uh, the movie First Contact with uh, Zephyr and Cochran when he created the, the warp drive capability in fact I think they even call it the, the Cochran Doctrine so you know so when they reach this threshold then first contact is made and that's important for later by the way put a pin in that <coughs> again excuse me we'll a lot of talking here um so you know and so but uh, rios goes on with this story that that his captain is contacted by commander o you know who's now the head of of uh of uh uh, Starfleet security or it's pretty high up anyway I guess I would imagine she she's probably already the head of security because she orders his captain Captain Vandermeer to kill both the androids or she will unleash an attack force and destroy the Emmett Majid with all hands on board so not just destroy the ship but destroy the entire crew that everybody that's on board all the Starfleet uh, she's willing to do that so obviously he does it he kills them and then when rios goes in to confront him why he did it he tells him why he did it but then out of despair himself puts a phaser in his mouth and blows his brains out right in the front of rios and then rios is left to he has to cover up he has to do what his captain was supposed to do and they beam the bodies into space uh they erase all record of the ship ever existing apparently and they cover it all up and then they release Rio six months later for being crazy out of Starfleet. So he's he's used and then you know he's traumatized, he's used, he's then he's tossed aside. Um he wasn't crazy, but as Rafi says, he was just broken uh as a result of all that. So so we get all that traumatic experience. So obviously Rios has direct contact in the past with the android advanced android race so that brings us to the next scene which is the meeting at the table uh the cafeteria table whatever you want to call it um uh, which is kind of where they throw all the rest of the pieces together for us remember they're putting all these pieces together uh so based on all the information that we've gotten so far Rafi extrapolates that she believes that the Zatvash um when data probably arrived on the scene in the starfleet and they probably implanted commander o into starfleet and then over time she had worked her way up you know through the ranks until she became the commodore and head of uh, starfleet security uh and distinguished herself you know uh and, and while that was going on <coughs> and um and then she goes on further that she was the one that and she points out the card saying i would see i was right it was the romulans that was her because uh commander o is half romulan half vulcan by the way i don't know if i mentioned that earlier or not but uh that they the romulans were the ones behind the mars attack they were the ones that instigated the whole thing so that she the commander o could get uh android any creation further creation of synthetic life or development anywhere in the galaxy outlawed which she was successful with but she said she wasn't done there because she was still looking for the android homeworld that gina and this perfect flower ambassador male android had come from and that brought us up to this point here um the other point that's brought up is that the belief in the destroyer right is when so not only the you know is the Zadvash created because of the the vision but in addition they throw this extra little tidbit in there is that when they reach a certain level when a society reaches a certain threshold much like warp technology like we talked about earlier when android life reach advanced android life reaches a certain threshold that's going to bring in some sort of ancient enemy right so 200,000 years ago a race created this very complex octary system put the planet in the middle and left the warning that the Zadvash think is if you create this uh, 
if you create synthetic life and it gets to this certain level that this dark force unseen unknown will rise and destroy their destroy all life just like they did to this advanced race 200,000 years ago they don't know the name of the race that built the octary system and they don't know the name of the race that come this dark force that comes and destroys things out everything because they guess they see synthetic life as an abomination kind of like the Zadvash do so they're borrowing very heavily here from uh, earth um, uh, earth religion and end of the world concepts here but you get the idea so so in addition to her being destroyer and the catalyst so now they they let they named soji enemy number one or at least somebody that looks like soji is enemy number one as their you know i think they, they got depth something i should have wrote it down it's, it's like their version of the antichrist they got that going on but if they do the in addition to that if they if they allow synthetic life to evolve to this threshold limit then this this darkness is going to come out of nowhere with this ancient advanced alien race that's in hiding somewhere and will come and destroy all organic life and that's how they interpret the vision so um very interesting stuff um so uh the other only other side point to this whole episode and i should have brought this up earlier is uh rios proves to soji that he knows androids because he offers her apparently french fries with peppermint and apparently androids like to dip french fries in peppermint so um yeah and yeah so that's how he proves to her that he knew jaina and everything so um so that kind of brings us to the end of the second um the whole second second point plot of this this episode um we'll get back into it at the very end but so but let's move on to the third plot that's going on in the episode and that's we get a new board queen well for about two seconds anyway um to me this continues to be the weakest of the subplots uh, of the, the plots that's going on in this entire series i've actually expected a lot more with the borg the borg are kind of like a just a, a subplot idea they're not tied in yet and i'm still waiting to see how that happens i always thought that the android and the the, the Borg would somehow merge or something because they have that, that that technology in common we've seen data try to be captured by the Borg Queen in the past all that stuff um, from the first contact movie so I've always expected more from the Borg storyline but so far it's been the weakest it's been the one with the least amount of writing and, and setup and this it kind of continues here so seven of nine comes because elnor in the last episode summoned her she shows up saves him they go to the borg chamber and then she reactivates the the borg cube so kind of like we've seen in the past where the borg cube kind of regenerates now we actually see a close-up version and it's actually a bunch of nano bite uh, maybe not even nano just little robots crawling all over the cube rebuilding it um obviously the zadvash romulans narissa sees that and they come up with a, a a plan to counteract because they know she's probably going to activate all what's left of the actual Borg drones. Um, unfortunately, though, when we finally, when we get to that point where she can connect herself, where Seven Nine can connect herself to the cube, she holds off because she's afraid. She's afraid that if she, because she says she can, she can create like a local localized Borg collective. Uh, with her as the queen with her as the the voice of it but she's afraid that so she wouldn't they wouldn't be connected to the greater board collective but she could create it on this 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 local level if you will board collective on this board and that but her fear is is if she connects herself she won't want to release the drones or would she would release herself from the cube and because of that hesitation the zavas romulans have time to come up with a counter plan and immediately they start killing the xbs and she sees that she connects herself but it's too late when she starts activating it's it's really cool for about two seconds she connects herself through the spine her eyes go black the green comes into the black and you hear the collective voice with hers saying we are borg um she doesn't say resistance is futile but <laughs> essentially you know you're like oh shit, here comes that moment this is it you know we're gonna see 
the board back with seven of nine as the queen. Unfortunately, though, the Ramans and the Zadvash Ramans have time to counteract it. They open up the, the, the force fields and send all the Borg drone into space. Uh, so it's that there's a letdown for me right there because I was kind of oh, okay. We're gonna get this really cool moment, you know, this really fan service moment. That doesn't happen. Pulls back. They teases with it and they pull it back. Then eventually she sends the XBs in, almost like um, I don't know what you would call it. I would call it like XB drone. They're they're acting like drones anyway. They're acting like um, Borg drones and they're kind of like zombies. They're they just keep coming at at the uh at Narissa and her her Romulan on the board her Zadvash Romulans and taking them out and eventually they overwhelm Narissa and it looks like they're gonna grab her and then Narissa gets beamed out and then basically all you get after that is seven of nine saying they they leave they take off for the for the android homeworld on their ships and all you hear seven of nine is we've retaken the cube the cube is ours um and then Elnor goes, well, what's left? Are you going to assimilate me now? And then you get a kind of a surprise moment. You get a, no, you hear the board, seven of nine board queen go, no, Annika still has let work left to do and disconnects herself from it and becomes seven of nine again. Um, I guess she kind of beat the temptation, but it sounds like she may return one day uh, to me. Like the option is there. Um, like, like if Annika didn't have Annika didn't still have personal things to do, they might have assimilated, start assimilating people. Um, maybe because remember, Seven of Nine isn't exactly. She, I will say she's lost her humanity. There's still some good essence left in her, but she's she's seeing things much more darkly. She she you know she murders the person that that murdered her, what she considers to be her son. She gets revenge for that. It's she's she's seen the darker side of humanity humanity and it's now kind of dwelling there herself so for her to go from that to becoming a full-time board queen wouldn't be that far of a jump um but she's released uh why she doesn't stay in the board queen and send the board ship to help picard i don't know i don't know how why she thinks that she can be more help as seven of nine to them i'm not sure uh, but that's kind of where we leave with that whole borg again the weakest plot line so far in the series and, and so far the biggest letdown so again we don't doesn't look like the Borg are going to be involved in the final kind of final conflict at least not yet uh, unless that's kind of a big surprise twist plot but what seven of nine can do is seven of nine instead of seven of nine Borg queen I'm not sure uh, again it's I'll I'll leave it open I'll, you know maybe the last two episodes will be a reward for it but I don't know or they're just trying to keep her character you know, on the good side because she's a popular character from past series and a fan favorite. Maybe that's that's what it is. Um, that she's still able to hold on to her humanity despite it all. Despite the temptation, maybe. Um, but I think she would be much more help with Picard as the board queen. Um, Alright. So that's the the main three kind of sub, you know, plots going on in the episode. Um, there's a couple up, a last episode or a couple scenes that I think still need to be talked about because they don't really quite fit uh but they need to they're really good ones um so let's the first one is picard and soji at the the what's called the breakfast table or whatever and they're eating there and picard you know soji's like i don't even know if i like eggs and you know and picard tries to sympathize with her like i you you know i have no idea what that's like not to know who you know a shadow of who you are etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know she he's sympathizing with her and then you know they and they start talking about data and she she goes tell me about data and picard goes into all these good traits you know he's childlike he was optimistic he had childlike curiosity he was a good person you know um you know and, and describes to soji what's going on now soji i think is actually just kind of testing picard here to see if she can really trust him um but she goes she goes further she goes well what if rules are reversed if you know, how do you think Data felt about you? If you had, you know, and he goes, well, you mean if roles were reversed and I had died and he had survived and she, he goes, I would think, I would hope that he would remember me as a person that, that, uh, that, that, that helped him when he needed help and I stayed out of the way when he didn't. And, 
that I, you know I was there for him and you know she goes did, did you love him and he he stops just short of it and he goes well Commander Data was was not exactly good with emotion and neither was I and that's something we kind of had in common but then she reveals and this is the big reveal she goes he loved you so it proves that Data's memories and the Data's somewhat of Data's consciousness is is in soji and if it's in soji then more than likely it's in all of them um his dna his his the, remember how those neurons said they could reconstitute all the data of who data was you know all of his memories all his everything so everything that he learned you know with uh with the tng crew and beyond is is inside somewhere inside those positronic matrices of the androids um and so that's kind of a big reveal so, uh, and something put a pin in that because we'll come back to it in the last scene. But I want the other scene in between that I want to talk about. I just thought was funny is the Picard and Admiral Clancy scene, and he's just tearing her up. He's like, "Wow, well, see, the windmills have become giants. You thought I was senile. You thought I was crazy. But see, see, there really was a problem here. And I want an attack fleet. And blah blah blah. He's just, and if you tell me Starfleet isn't up to the task, and he starts just throwing all this political stuff at her." <laughs> she actually stops him she calls him admiral so she shows more respect for him in some ways anyway she actually gives him the respect and calls him admiral picard instead of you know gives him the respect of rank even so she's acknowledging he's right in that way but she goes shut the fuck up um <laughs> you're getting you're getting your attack fleet they'll be at ds12 meet us there <laughs> clancy out just thought it was a funny scene i thought it was vindication for him he does the clapping of his hands He's finally vindicated, and uh, it's just a nice moment to see after all the humiliation and humble, well, maybe not some humiliation, but humbling that Picard goes through through the series that something is finally paying off his way at the end of all this. So hopefully that holds, and hopefully that the Federation is the good guys and will be there to support them at the end, hopefully. Okay, so the final scene, which kind of puts a little bow on everything. Um, they're on their way to take Soji back to her android homeworld because she's, they've talked about the Zadvash threat and they're coming. And Rios kind of, it's Picard and Rios. And Picard talks about his former captain and how he knew them or how he, he knew of him through his captain's captain, you know, kind of six degrees separation kind of thing. Um, and he goes further and Rios goes, well, what if they're right about her being the destroyer? And, you know, and then Picard, I actually took this right out of there. Zadvash, he, this is exactly what he says. Zadvash sets a trap for the Federation. Set, set a trap for the Federation, but instead of sidestepping it, they gave way to fear, talking about the, the Mars colony attack. Uh, we have, but he goes, you know, he, he goes on about how the, the, uh, the past is written, but we have powerful tools to write the future with. Future with, we have openness optimism and the spirit of curiosity all the vat the vat zatvash has is secrecy and fear and fear is the great is the great destroyer what's funny here to me and what took me back is when he talks about openness optimism and spirit of curiosity those are the same traits he was talking about in data so you see because we get the reveal that data does exist in all these androids that that's picard's great hope that everything that he learned about humanity from Picard and the rest of the TNG crew and how he became this really great person, this unselfish person who sacrificed his life for his captain at the end, that that level of duty, commitment, openness, curiosity, uh, you know, optimism, all that, all the good stuff that was data exists in every one of these androids. And that's Picard's hope is for the future is that's what's going to make the difference and that's what's going to keep synthetic life from going terminator going you know uh on people and that's 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 the saving grace is that they're yes they're going to defend themselves when threatened but they're going to be there for the collective good you know and you know not and not be a, a major threat so so that's uh that's pretty much the that's where the the episode ends uh, but you know, it's, um, I have a couple theories though. And I think well, one is this after watching all this, I think the message 
the Devat, uh, the Zatvash are given is misinterpreted. I think the 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 whole system being octanary in nature and being engineered in nature speaks to the android, not to the organic human or organic life or alien life or anything. It's it because it's engineered and it's precise that the message is actually for the androids and that when the Zatvash and the Romulan Zatvash try to communicate with this device, they get a vision, but because it's such a data download into the brains, they can't handle it. And they're only getting bits and pieces. It may indeed, yes, be a warning of some kind, but the full message isn't, re isn't received because only an Android in the first place could interpret it and fully understand it. Whereas organic life that's even psychic organic life in this case in the Romulan you know whatever Vulcan species can only handle so much and because of that they're only getting part of the message they're only seeing they're seeing the androids and that's great but the rest of it they're, they're getting they're skipping maybe to the end to the apocalyptic part of the warning and they're not getting into the in-between details of maybe how to stop this force from coming and maybe the androids are actually the the, the the thing that's going to, to stop it but they need the data from the message and that, I think that's what's I, I that's just my theory so far I could be way off but that's I think that's what's going on um, or the warning is somewhat true and in that case a great ancient power invisible to see what's going to rise and take them all out for creating uh, the abomination of, of synthetic life but I really think it's it, it's the first so those are just my theories uh, so far on uh, what I think is a great episode. And, and speaking of which, um, my final thoughts and grades, I'm going to go as high as, a, as, a, as we've been using the old uh, uh, 1 to 10 scale. I, and we've been holding back grades. Um, I, I'm going to give this my, my highest grade yet. It's a 9.0. Uh, I want to give it a 9.5. It's, it's a great episode. There's not a lot of action, but it really brings the whole picture together. Like you're getting... You know, this guy's background, Rios's background story that feeds in. You get Rafi and her conspiracy theory evolving put in. You get the destroyer theory put in, and and it all starts to make sense. Um, yes, is it is it convenient for the plot? Yes, it is. But I think it's necessary for us to understand all this before we take the leap into the next two episodes to understand, to give us all this background information and have it solid because I think it's going to reveal the last few mysteries that are left and how it's all going to evolve. So they have to do this at this point because we only got two episodes left. We're at, we just finished episode eight, we got nine and 10 and that's the end of season one. So uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of things were answered. A lot of things are made clear and uh, we're moving uh, full steam ahead and I can't wait for the, the next two episodes. So definitely uh, my highest grade Maybe not the best episode in the series because we were holding back grades earlier, but it is definitely up there. Um, so there you go. All right. So where? So if that's our our conclusion of our review today. But uh, if you like this uh, podcast and you want to know where you can find us, at uh, you can use my uh, uh, you can see my graphic here for the blind. Your best place to go, guys, is www.the4midwestguys.com. Again, that's the4midwestguys.com. That's our uh, blog slash website. All of our video podcasts and audio podcasts are listed there in chronological order. There's categories at the top for all of our different shows, and we have quite a few. We do a Picard show. We do a Clone Wars show. Uh, we were doing an XFL show, which is on hold right now because of everything that's going on with the, the coronavirus. I'll go ahead and say it. Um, but there are, you know, there are links to other shows that we've done in the past. We did a Star Wars Rebels. Uh, I think it was we started season two all the way through season two to through uh, the conclusion of that series is on there. Things are archived on there. Um, you can see where we make our jump to video and where we started doing movie reviews of blockbuster movie reviews, uh, heavily on the star Wars cause I'm a big star Wars, not as well as star Trek. So more star Wars and star Trek, but still, <coughs> uh, also on the website is links to our Facebook, our Twitter, our, um, our, uh, Apple podcasts, our Podbean. 
um, all that stuff. You can follow, like, and subscribe across the board. Links to our YouTube pages, which is where all our videos are stored. Speaking of which, I want to give out a very big, uh, big thank you real quick to uh, everybody who helped us with the YouTube. We were trying to get 100 subscribers. We're currently at 107. So thank you very much for that. We're new to YouTube, so that helps us out greatly. You'll now... Uh, here shortly I'll request that because uh, right now we're just kind of youtube.com with a bunch of letters and numbers I can now request to make it youtube.com slash for Midwest guys so thank you very much for that uh, however if you do just want to find us on Facebook it's facebook.com slash for Midwest guys find us on Twitter at for Midwest guys you can find myself at bwilly1977 you can find uh, Mr. Ankenbauer at angzone you can find us at, on uh, Instagram at four underscore Midwest underscore guys, where you'll get more pictures and stuff, especially of the the studio uh, rework here uh, is on there. A lot of behind the scenes stuff. If you want to do good old fashioned email, it's for Midwest guys at gmail.com. So you can kind of see the, the general theme here is for Midwest guys. Um, so reach out. There's there's all kinds of ways to, to log in, to follow, like, and subscribe us. Plenty of ways to reach out to us and get in touch with us. And we would love to hear from you. I know Brian does as well. And Brian's been working. He worked his butt off to uh, get us to that first 100 subscribers on YouTube. So I want to thank him as well, even though he's not here today. Um, but uh, I want to thank you guys as well for uh, for making that possible for us. So thank you, thank you, and, and thank you again. Um, so however but that thanks uh thank you for everything thanks for listening to me and putting up with my dry throat as i, I flew uh solo on this one uh, uh hopefully brian will be back next week and uh we can get our schedules to line up a little bit better and uh, but until then everyone uh that i've been your host b willis and saying live long and uh live prosper talk to you later